Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the Emergency Medicine Residents and Faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Pediatric Emergency Medicine, mini guidewires for many people. Good afternoon, and welcome to the mini guidewire for many people presented by the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Follows at Carolina's Medical Center. We are recording from the J.L. Garvey studio. Just to introduce ourselves again, my name is Ashley Mazo. I'm Chantel Walker. I'm Mary Grady. I'm Elise Alves Graber. I'm Julie Fermick. And I'm Jennifer Tiller. And today we'll be talking to you about urinary tract infections in the pediatric patients. So today we're going to be reviewing the AAP guidelines that were published in 2011. These were originally written as a revised version of the practice parameters originally published in uh, 1999. This is important because UTI is an incredibly common problem in our patient population. It's the most common bacterial infection in children under the age of two. These guidelines were written by a bunch of very smart people with lots of letters behind their name. If you're interested to see how the guidelines were created, you can look at our show notes. The guideline objectives focus on diagnosis and management of initial UTI in febrile infants less than the age of two. Infants that were less than two months of age were excluded from these guidelines, and also any children with obvious neuro or anatomical abnormalities that would lead to them having an increased risk of urinary tract infection were also excluded. So in terms of diagnosing UTI, these patients are broken down into two groups, toxic and non-toxic patients. In terms of toxic patients, you'll be doing everything for them, including culturing from their blood and their urine and giving them antibiotics. Additionally, in toxic patients, you should also consider things other than UTI and potential complications of UTI. In the non-toxic febrile infant, the physician should assess the likelihood of the patient having a UTI. If clinical suspicion is low, the patient can be followed up without testing for UTI. However, if clinical suspicion is high, meaning greater than 2%, there are two options. The first option is to collect the urine via a culture, via a calf, or a suprapubic aspirate. The second option is to collect the urine via bag. If the urine is negative, no further testing is needed. However, if the urine is positive, a second sample needs to be collected via cath or suprapubic aspiration. Hold on one second here, Mary. I personally am not doing a whole lot of math at work. So uh, how am I supposed to know if this kid has a 1% chance or a 2% chance or anything like that? Like clinically, how am I going to figure this out? So the guidelines also recommend how to restratify your patients. And so first of all, we have to substratify them. Sometimes you have boy patients and sometimes you have girl patients. So some of the risk factors that are seen in female patients associated with a higher chance of a UTI are age less than 12 months, white race, fever over 39 degrees Celsius, duration of fever over two days, and no other signs of infection. And if you have two or more of these risk factors, you should probably test the urine. In boys, if they are under six months old, they are of a non-black race, they have a fever over 39 degrees Celsius, their fever has been going on for over 24 hours, or if they have no other signs of infection, these are some risk factors associated with an increased risk of a UTI. And if they have three or more risk factors, you should also probably test their urine. So Jen, can you go back to the 
idea of the suprapubic aspiration and give me just a little bit more information about that? Yeah. So in terms of diagnosing this, like we said, we can either do a cath or suprapubic aspiration. You're more commonly going to see the cath, right? Our nurses can do that. It can be done quickly and it's a pretty safe procedure. But in some situations, like a kid that maybe has really bad vaginal adhesions, that might not be possible and you might want to do the suprapubic aspiration. I don't know about you guys, but this is not something that I've done a ton and it's been a really long time since I've even thought about it. But quickly, we're going to do it as a sterile procedure. You can use your ultrasound machine to localize the bladder and make sure that you're getting the urine and you're in the right spot. And then you can just cross your fingers that the parents are going to agree to let you stick a needle in the kid's abdomen to get some urine out. But the important thing is, whether or not you do a suprapubic aspiration or a cath, you have to know that you cannot diagnose a UTI with a culture that was collected from a bag specimen. Bag specimens are notorious for giving high false positive rates and are only going to be helpful if they're absolutely negative. In fact, the specificity is only 63%. So when you're in a busy emergency room, you might not have time to wait for a bag specimen, see that it's positive, and then have to repeat the testing with the cath or aspiration. So it might just be a better idea to go ahead and get the cath specimen first. So we decided to get our cath specimen. How do I determine whether or not that test is positive? So going back in terms of our diagnosis, we need to look at the urine to see if it is suggestive of a UTI meaning that there's bacteria and white blood cells in the urine. We also need a positive culture from either a suprapubic cath or a a cath urine specimen. A positive culture means that there's 50,000 colony forming units or greater of a uropathogen. So when you get your results from your analysis back, how do we interpret that? First of all, Start with your nitrites. If you have positive nitrites, that's it. You've got a UTI, you should empirically treat. If it's negative, then you should move on to the next step in analyzing the rest of your your analysis. If you have leukosterase 2 plus or higher, that's a high sensitivity for a UTI. If you have a white blood cell count higher than 10 white blood cells per high power field, that's also a pretty good indicator that you have a UTI. If you have bacteria in the urine seen on a urinalysis, That correlates with over 100,000 colony-forming units on culture. So now that we've figured out who to test and how uh, to test them, how do we treat them? I think I can chime in on that. And so going back a little bit to your non-toxic versus your toxic patient, for the kids that look toxic or are hemodynamically unstable, you're probably going to use IV medication and bring them into the hospital, and you probably want to use the most broad-spectrum antibiotic that you can for that time. A lot of your antibiotic choice is going to be based on regional antibiograms as well as the sensitivity of the culture itself. The most common antibiotic used for these toxic patients is ceftriaxone, but for the most part, us in the emergency department will be dealing with the kids that are able to tolerate oral medication and are non-toxic appearing. And for those children, Again, still use your local antibiogram, but the most common PO options are either amoxicillin or your second-generation cephalosporins. The most common time period for treatment for these children is about 7 to 14 days. Um, What they found in prior studies was anything between 10 or 14 days is fine. However, anything less than 5 days was inferior. So you've now made the diagnosis and treated the patient. What do you do next? For any patient who is being diagnosed with a febrile UTI for the first time, they need to undergo a renal ultrasound. 
If the patient's being admitted and is likely toxic appearing, they can get the ultrasound during their admission, likely within the first two days of diagnosis. However, if they're non-toxic and are going home, they can follow up with their pediatrician and have an outpatient renal ultrasound done. Nuclear scans are not recommended anymore, and a VCUG, or voiding cystourethrogram, is only recommended if the renal ultrasound is abnormal. So guys, I think this is a pretty good summary of the newest UTI guidelines. Um, so to kind of just wrap up everything, if we have a febrile infant that comes in and has a UTI, we kind of need to figure out, is this kid sick or not sick? If the kid is sick, they are getting all the things, cultures, antibiotics, admission, and they'll be staying in the hospital for a little bit. If they're not sick, then we have to risk stratify. So to kind of figure out the kids who are not sick, are they high risk? Are these the kids that we should be testing? Fever greater than 39 degrees Celsius, fever longer than 24 hours, and no other associated symptoms are higher risk, and these kids certainly get tested. Treatment options for the kids that are going to be admitted are likely going to be IV antibiotics. The kids that are going home will likely be PO antibiotics, and they need to be treated for a minimum of seven days. And if you are discharging any kids, make sure they follow up with their PCP because if it's their first time having a febrile UTI, they need to get a renal ultrasound at a later date. Again, thank you for listening to us. Um, again, it's the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Fellows at Caroline Medical Center, and that is the end of our mini Guidewire. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! CMC out.